You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Hi, listeners. To give all of you a taste of the exclusive content that I provide to patrons on Patreon, I thought I'd release an old blind spot minisode I did more than a year ago. I'm also doing a giveaway on December 1st, when I'll put the names of all active patrons into a bowl and have my daughter Gemma fish out a name. That patron will win a brand new set of Studio earbuds. These are their bleeding edge model, the Et, with active noise cancellation and a state-of-the-art quick charge case with magnetic cradles that holds four extra charges. I'll be making a video of Gemma picking the winner and posting it to Patreon, so go sign up at patreon.com slash historicalblindness. These earbuds were provided courtesy of Studio to promote their Black Friday sale going on now. If you visit studio.com during November 23rd to the 30th, they're offering 25% off all products site-wide. I believe I said 35% in my last episode, but I misread that. It's 25%, but listeners of Historical Blindness get an additional 10% off using the promo code HISTORICAL for a total of 35% off your purchase. If you can't pledge on Patreon or don't like your 1 in 100 chance of winning my drawing, go and do some holiday shopping at studio.com right now and use the promo code HISTORICAL at checkout. Hi, patrons. Thanks so much for sticking with me through this hiatus. For new patrons, I want to wait until my first show after the hiatus to thank you, but I'll thank you here too. Thanks, Jamie, Dominic, and Wasabis. As November winds down, I know many of you, if you're American, are thinking about family and feasting as the Thanksgiving holiday approaches. The podcast has always been dark during this time of year, but now that I'm producing these blind sides for the show's supporters, it's the perfect opportunity to look at some of the myths and misconceptions surrounding the origins of this holiday, all of which are taught to American children yearly, laying down a foundation of oversimplified and misleading ideas about history that many never move beyond. So we should start with the story as it is transmitted to every generation, although with perhaps some further detail than is given to children. Thanks for listening to this holiday blindside, which I'll call the Thanksgiving Mythos. After a challenging first year in the New World, the 50 or so surviving colonists who had arrived on the Mayflower in 1620, many of them members of the English Separatist Church, a radical sect of Puritans, sat down for a feast with the members of the Wampanoag tribe. The colonists had gone through a great deal before then. The Separatists among them had left England for the Netherlands after breaking from the Church of England in 1607 and only joined the Mayflower expedition bound for Virginia because they feared losing their English heritage in that Dutch-speaking country. After surviving the arduous crossing of the Atlantic, storms and rough seas kept them from landing at their destination. 
putting them instead at the famous Plymouth Rock, which led to some mutinous arguments about their contract with the Virginia Company being void. Seeking to bring this motley group of people together for the purposes of succeeding in their venture, some among them penned the Mayflower Compact, a document that established a system of self-government for the colonial venture they were about to undertake. But they would not make it alone. During their first winter, more than half of them would die from the cold and from malnutrition. Only their relationship with the local Wampanoag natives made their survival possible. And this was only made possible by their friendship with Tisquantum, or Squanto, a survivor of the Patuxet tribe who had been taken from his people by John Smith years earlier. He had been intended for slavery, but Squanto learned English and escaped that fate. When he made his way home, he found his people dead from illnesses introduced by colonists. And so he went in search of a new home. To the colonists at Plymouth, Squanto would prove to be the perfect guide and ambassador, teaching them where to hunt and how to plant a crop of maize and negotiating a peace with the Wampanoag of the area. When their first crop came in that fall, 1621, they celebrated their bountiful harvest, their friendship with the natives, and the survival of their colony with a feast and games. Or so the story goes. Indeed, much of this appears to be true, although the rosy tint and implication of a happy ending for all involved must be challenged, as well as some assumptions about this feast being the true origin of the holiday and all its customs today. In truth, days of Thanksgiving were celebrated in other New England colonies for different reasons, as days of fasting and prayer, but were never an annual event with uniform traditions or menus. The first national day of Thanksgiving was decreed by George Washington in 1789 to celebrate the resolution of our war for independence, but that too was a special event, not a recurring holiday. New York State was the first of several northern states to establish an annual Thanksgiving holiday, but each of these states celebrated on different days, and southern states never took up the tradition. Some lobbied for a national holiday, most notably the writer Sarah Josepha Hale, who was best known for writing Mary Had a Little Lamb, and who campaigned for a national Thanksgiving for 36 years. Eventually, she got her wish when, in 1863, in an effort to heal the nation's wounds while in the midst of the Civil War, President Abraham Lincoln declared the last Thursday in November to be Thanksgiving Day, a place it would hold almost continuously to this day, with the exception of an ill-fated move to an earlier week in November during the Depression that Franklin D. Roosevelt thought might boost the economy a short-lived change known as Franksgiving that shows us the holiday was connected to consumerism even as far back as the 1930s. Even though the harvest feast of the pilgrims and the Wampanoag is remembered as the origin of the practice of Thanksgiving days that would eventually evolve into our annual tradition, 
it appears it was not really the first Thanksgiving Day in America. That honor goes to a Spanish settlement in Florida 56 years earlier. As soon as Pedro Menendez de Aviles landed and founded the settlement of St. Augustine, he and his men held a mass of thanksgiving and then shared a meal with the Siloy tribesmen local to the area. Or, if you are of the mind that it had to be held by English settlers to count as America's first thanksgiving, after questioning your assumptions and notions of American cultural history, one could point to Virginia a couple years before the Plymouth Feast, where upon landing south of Richmond, one group of settlers, led by Captain John Woodleaf, shared a meager meal and abundant prayers of thanks for their survival. Woodleaf even signed an order that the anniversary of their landing should, quote, be yearly and perpetually kept holy as a day of thanksgiving to Almighty God, end quote. But this thanksgiving was lost to time for more than 300 years before rediscovered primary source documents brought it to light. So who knows how many other first thanksgivings there might have actually been. And just as we find we cannot nail down the first Thanksgiving, so too we find that the traditional foods of the holiday cannot be traced back to the beginnings of the tradition. The Spanish settlers of St. Augustine shared salted pork, hard sea tack biscuits, garlic garbanzo beans, and red wine. Woodleaf's settlers in Virginia had only their remaining rations of ham and oysters to feast on. And while the pilgrims at Plymouth certainly seem to have put together a more plentiful repast, there is little evidence to suggest they ate even turkey, let alone any of our other staple Thanksgiving dishes. A pilgrim chronicler, Edward Winslow, mentions that they killed fowl for their dinner, but these might just as well have been ducks, swans, or geese. What we do know is that they ate their fill of venison, as their Wampanoag guests contributed five deer to the feast. They may also have eaten lobster, which were plentiful in the area. But we know with certainty they had no potatoes, and because they had run out of sugar, they baked no fruit pies for their dessert. Cranberries actually were common in the area and eaten by the Wampanoag, but without sugar to sweeten them in a sauce, they would have eaten them raw tart as they are. So if you want to prepare a truly traditional Thanksgiving, you're going to need to change up your usual fare. Perhaps the most misleading thing about the Thanksgiving mythos is the implication that English settlers made friends with the natives and everyone lived happily ever after. This was certainly not true of Woodleaf's settlement in Virginia, who kept their Thanksgiving remembrance for two years before the famous native chief Powhatan, fearing their settlement's expansion and their conversion of his tribesmen, slaughtered almost 350 of them. Meanwhile, up in Plymouth, the pilgrims remained on friendly terms with the Wampanoag for far longer. But after a generation, the friendship of their Thanksgiving feast was forgotten amid the bloodshed of King Philip's war. 
The High Chieftain of the Wampanoag, Massasoit, with whom Squanto had negotiated a peace on behalf of the Plymouth Colony, proved to be a stalwart ally, but as more and more colonists arrived, and the Wampanoag suffered and died from illnesses as a result of their contact with the Europeans, the goodwill faded. When Massasoit's son, Metacomet, whom the English called King Philip, became chief, he held a different view of relations with the colonists. And when some of his tribesmen were tried and executed for the murder of John Sassaman, a native interpreter and favorite of the English since his conversion to Christianity, Metacomet declared war, raiding and destroying numerous towns. It was the bloodiest conflict in the history of colonial America, and it began a mere 54 years after the first Thanksgiving at the very same Plymouth Colony, waged by the children of the same people who had so famously broken bread together that day. And once defeated, Metacomet, son of Massasoit, who very likely had been a guest of honor at the much mythologized first Thanksgiving, was dismembered, his head placed on a spike at Plymouth Colony and kept there for all to see, rotting and withering for 25 years. So, this Thanksgiving, when you've had a few too many hard ciders, if anyone mentions the history of the holiday, you can be the most popular person in your family by pointing out their misconceptions and regaling them with tales of bloody colonial warfare. It will be even more effective if you're gesturing with a turkey drumstick and shouting through a mouthful of gravy-soaked stuffing and mashed potatoes. I hope you enjoyed this first-ever holiday-themed patron-exclusive, everyone. Look for another blind side in a couple of weeks before I hopefully get my Christmas special out. I love and appreciate all of you. Consider this my giving of thanks.